Well, I'm excited this morning. Today's an exciting day. Today is Baptism Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Love this time of year. Roughly, we do a baptism service this time of year and also in the spring. And it's an exciting day because today's the day that we remember, we celebrate, and we display the gospel through baptism. First of all, we remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We remember all that Jesus was willing to endure on the cross for us and how God victoriously raised him from the dead. We remember all those things and we celebrate those things as well in baptism. We celebrate them because through that truth of the death, burial, and resurrection, the atoning work of Christ, and through that power of the resurrection, God is now transforming lives and and hearts here at Franklin with Bible Church and around the world, and that's awesome. That's something that we can celebrate, that we can rejoice in, that God is changing hearts and lives. And we're gonna hear some stories uh, right after I'm done here, some amazing stories of people's lives and how they've been transformed, and so that's something we can celebrate. And finally, we're gonna display the gospel as people go into the water and not only act out what Christ has accomplished for them, but they act out what's happened to them spiritually in Christ. And so I'm excited about this morning. I love Baptism Sunday, and uh, I'm going to be so excited if I'm walking around, just remind me that there's a whole lot of water right there, and I don't want to wipe out. So a lot right there in that spot over there, so I'll try to stick over here. But I'm excited, and as we move forward with baptisms this morning, I just want to take some time to answer a fundamental question. What is baptism? What is baptism? I'm going to start with a definition, and this is kind of heavy, all right? So if I say this definition and then you hear this and it's kind of like a little overwhelming, I'm going to take time to break it down and talk through it more specifically. But here's a definition. Baptism is a public declaration of faith made by an individual and affirmed by the church, which proclaims the gospel, testifies to salvation through faith, and identifies that believer with the person of Christ, the purposes of Christ, and the people of Christ. So I'm gonna break this down, we're gonna talk about this a little bit. First of all, baptism has been around for a really long time. In fact, it was around way before even the time of Jesus, but back then it was a lot more uncommon because baptism was a practice that would happen, it would take place when there were these non-Jewish people who wanted to convert to Judaism. And so, because they weren't Jewish and because they were different people, the nation of Israel, they would go through a series of uh, rituals in order to make someone Jewish. And those rituals included a number of things. First of all, they had to make a sacrifice. They had to offer a sacrifice and bring it before the priest who would offer it before the Lord. They also, if they were a man, they had to be circumcised, which is the sign of the Jewish people. It's that sign of the old covenant. And finally, these people were baptized. So what would happen is they would go before a priest and the priest would take them and dunk them under the water. And this symbolized both a a purification of sorts, but also a death to their old identity and a transformation into this new identity. They are now raised up, and they were Jewish people. Their old pagan Gentile life was symbolically destroyed as they went under the water, and they were raised and given a new identity. In fact, if you read through the Bible, that picture of water being something that's about death or judgment, that's a common theme throughout Scripture. We read multiple times where water is used for judgment, for death. Remember the days of Noah? We just preached through that whole series, that fun series, and we talked about how every inclination of the thought of man's heart was only evil all the time. People were wicked during the days of Noah. So what did God do to bring about judgment upon the people? Well, he brought that flood. And the only people who were saved were the ones who were placed into the ark. 
Let's give another example. How about the story of Jonah? Remember, he was rebellious, he was sinful, and how did God bring judgment upon Jonah? Well, they tossed him overboard into the water. He was disobedient, God brought judgment, he was tossed overboard. The only way he was saved was by being placed in the belly of the fish. And so we see this picture of water as something that's scary. In fact, I shared in the baptism class, I have my own personal kind of fear of water. I've had two moments in my life where I almost died because of water. Once when I was a little kid and I fell into a pool and someone had to pull me out. And then once I was uh, traveling when I was living overseas, I was swimming in the Mediterranean and I got pulled out by a riptide and me and a couple buddies almost drowned late at night. So water freaks me out a little bit. I've never been very good. I'm not, some of those people are like amazing in water. They can dive and swim like a fish. I get a little bit freaked out. But water can be scary, but I can tell you what's really scary. Imagine me taking you right now and holding you underwater. That would be scary, wouldn't it? I mean, that's something that uh, people do if they're going to try to murder someone. That's a, that's a major picture of death and judgment. That's a scary thing. And this is why 2,000 years ago, this guy named John the Baptist showed up, and he started baptizing people, including Jews. He was demonstrating this picture of death, And judgment, his whole purpose, the whole purpose of John the Baptist was to point the way forward to the Messiah, to prepare people for the coming Messiah King. And so John the Baptist looked around at the landscape of all the people who were living around him at that time, and he realized that these people needed to repent. Now the word repent is kind of an old word, we don't use it very often, but it means change the way you live, change the way you act, change the way you think. Literally in Greek it's metanoia, change and thinking. And so he was calling for these people to repent of their sin, to make way and to prepare their way for the coming Messiah King. And so all those people who heard John's message of repentance, all those people who said, yeah, I want to be ready for the king, I want to change, they would line up along the bank of the Jordan River and John would take them and dunk them under water. It was essentially a way of him saying and them saying, you know, we know we're not good enough. We know we deserve judgment and death. And so, John, why don't you symbolically put us underwater and put us to death and raise us up so we can be changed. We can repent. We can be a new kind of people ready for this king. And so John started doing that. And person after person who came and accepted his message of repentance that they needed to change and, and look forward to that coming Messiah were being baptized until one day who asked to be baptized? Jesus. Now John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It meant that you're a sinner and you need to change your ways. So when Jesus came up to John the Baptist and he asked to be baptized, that was a little strange. Why is that strange? Well, Jesus was without sin. Jesus didn't need to repent. He didn't need to change his ways in order to, make, to, to look forward to this coming Messiah King. He was the Messiah King. He was perfect. Jesus was sinless. He had done nothing wrong. And so John realized this whole fact, and John was saying, hey, I can't baptize you. You should come up here and baptize me. I'm not even worthy to tie your shoe, man. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are sinless. John recognized this, but how does Jesus respond? He says, no. No, you must baptize me. This is part of fulfilling all righteousness. Now, why was Jesus saying that he needed to be baptized? Did he need to repent? Did Jesus need to turn from his sin and embrace this message of John? Is that why he's being baptized? No, I don't think so. 
Jesus was being baptized because he was identifying with sinners. He was identifying himself with the people who needed to repent and needed to turn. In fact, he was also prefiguring an incredible act that he was about to perform only three years later. You may have heard about it. We may be, if we've been here, like I mentioned at the beginning of the service, I think most of you I know pretty well probably heard this multiple times, but I'm going to say it again. On the cross, Jesus Christ was raised up on that cross, and the sin of the world was poured out upon him, and Jesus was judged for sin that was not his own. And after he was judged, and after he suffered, and he was there, and he was crucified, he bled and died, and eventually Jesus was buried. But after three days, God raised him from the dead, conquering sin and death forever, and now Jesus Christ is alive today. And we can celebrate that, amen? In fact, I often talk about how baptism just reminds me of an Easter Sunday kind of celebration because it's all about celebrating new life. Jesus Christ is risen. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you're going through, whatever junk you faced this morning, whatever argument you had in the car on your way here with your spouse, let me tell you, Jesus is alive. He's been raised from the dead. It's a a message of hope and victory, and so we can rejoice whatever junk you're going through. Jesus is alive. He's been raised from the dead. And the Bible says that through this incredible work of Christ, we have good news. The Bible says that if we turn from our old way of living and thinking, if we repent, just like John was calling people to do, change our thinking, change our living, and we trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, something incredible happens inside of us. We are saved from our sins and we're spared from the coming wrath of God, the judgment that we deserve because Jesus was judged in our place. He is our substitute sacrifice. Just like we saw in the Old Testament with Abraham and Isaac and how Isaac was going to be sacrificed. Remember, we went through that whole series and instead of Isaac being offered up before God, there was a substitute, the ram in the thicket who was placed before him. Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is our ram in the thicket. Jesus is the lamb of God who was slain for us. And so the moment we believe, this is also something that's pretty incredible. The Holy Spirit does an amazing work within us. He actually takes us and he places us safely in Christ, safely in Jesus Christ. Just like Noah, when he was in the flood, was placed safely in the ark. Just like Jonah, when he was in the water, was placed safely in the belly of the fish. The moment we believe, the Holy Spirit takes us and he places us safely in Christ. This inward spiritual placement is actually called something technical in the Bible. It's called a spiritual baptism, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens. Not only are we placed in Christ, but we are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So when Jesus died on the cross and was buried, we died with him. Spiritually, our old life in Adam was crucified. We were crucified with Christ. We died with him. Our old sinful nature was crucified with Jesus. And when Jesus rose from the dead, spiritually we rose with him. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're given new spiritual life in Christ, a life of hope, a life of victory, and a life of power. And I'm going to give one of the greatest examples of this we're going to read in Scripture. This comes from Romans. He's talking about baptism here. And notice what he says. 
It's his language of identification. He says, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, placed into Christ, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the moment that we experience salvation, something amazing happens. We're spiritually placed into Christ, and we've experienced death through our old identity and spiritual resurrection, and now we belong to God, and we're joined to Christ and joined to one another. We are part of the body of Christ. You and I are brothers and sisters in Christ if you belong to him. We're joined together, and so this is If this is what God has done for us on the inside with our spiritual baptism as we were united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, what we're doing today with water baptism is an outward physical picture of what God has already done for us on the inside spiritually. Baptism is an outward picture of an internal reality. See, what's going to happen at the end of second service as we go outside in that frigid air We're going to go out there, and I'm going to take two people, and I'm going to hold them underwater. I promise it's not going to be that long. All right. But I'm going to hold them underwater. This is a picture of judgment. The old life that they once lived is being symbolically put to death because that's already what happened to them spiritually the moment they believed. And then these people are going to be pulled out of the water by a force that's not their own. This is going to symbolize their resurrection to a new life in Christ, which has already spiritually happened the moment they believe when God raised them from the dead spiritually, and they are now alive spiritually. This is what we're doing today. We're remembering, we're celebrating, and we're displaying the gospel, and this is something that the church has done for centuries. In fact, for 2,000 years since Christ, that command has been to go, to make disciples, and to baptize those people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So once again, let's go back to that Definition. Baptism is a public declaration of faith made by an individual and affirmed by the church which proclaims the gospel and testifies to salvation through faith and identifies that believer with the person of Christ, the purposes of Christ, and the people of Christ. Here at Franklin Muth Bible Church, we do not believe that baptism saves you. We do not believe that baptism itself gives you new life or makes you a Christian. A little water on the outside of our body does nothing to cleanse us inwardly, to cleanse our heart. That's done through faith in Jesus Christ to accomplish all that for us. He is the one who gives us salvation. He is the one who spiritually cleanses us and transforms us and washes us. The water physically that we go under does not do any of that. We believe that in baptism... Today, Adam and Rachel, who are going to be sharing in just a moment, they're going to be declaring to the church and to the world that they belong to Jesus by faith and that they are now part of the spiritual body of Christ. They're going to be proclaiming that. We as a church, we're going to be affirming them in their faith. They've been in fellowship with us. We know them. And so we're going to be affirming the fact that, yes, genuinely, they have been converted. They have been transformed. They have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And then they're going to be displaying the gospel. They're going to be showing for others to see, this is what Jesus did. He was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. And not only are they going to display what Jesus did, they're going to say, this is what happened to us spiritually when we believed. We died with Christ. We went down, and then we were raised to new spiritual life. This is what they're going to be proclaiming. They're going to be proclaiming the gospel. They're now aligned with Christ. This is what baptism 
is all about. And so now what we're going to do at this point in the service, I'm going to invite Adam and Rachel to come up. They're going to share uh, their testimonies with us. And then once they do that, I'll stand up here with them. Uh, I'll pray. And we're going to continue in worship for the remainder of the service. Just a heads up. There's a lot of water, guys, so don't slip over there. Um, we're going to do some worship. And then, like I mentioned, uh, we'll close the service at the end of second service. We're going to participate in those baptisms. So you guys are welcome to come right up here. And uh, you can use this stand if you want as well. It is on. Hi, I'm Rachel. <laughs> um, I came to trust in Jesus when I was 21. I grew up in a home where I heard God's word all the time. However, I was indifferent toward God and his word. I was filled with sin, both mine and also others' sins against me. Those sins led me further away from God. My dad left my family when I was 16. And through that lack of a present father, I drifted further into sin, trying to fill that void in my heart with boyfriends, friends I didn't need, and drinking. I wanted, to look, I wanted to feel the love and acceptance and protection that only a father can give. God saw me in my brokenness and sent me people to tell me that I was God's daughter and very much loved. So loved that he sent his son Jesus to take my well-deserved punishment for my sins from me so I can be reconciled with God my Father. God revealed himself to me as Father, the Father that I so desperately needed and wanted. God also gave me an earthly picture of who he is through my relationship with my stepfather, who through God's hand of providence was brought into my life in my worst time. My stepfather relentlessly pursued a relationship with me the way God had, even when I had done everything I could to push him away. He accepted me and loved me even when I was very unacceptable and unlovely, filled with sin, the way God had loved and accepted me while I was still an enemy of God in my sin. He also protected me from the false gods that I was trying to put up in my life, boyfriends, friends I didn't need, and drinking. God, my father, was destroying all these idols through the new relationship with my stepfather. And God replaced these false gods with the one true God the only God that can satisfy all my desires. After God changed my heart through his spirit's power, my indifference toward God and his word changed into passion for him. I started craving God's word and devouring it. I read through Psalms and Proverbs over and over again, and my faith grew as I read about God being a father to the fatherless. Realizing that, that was exactly what God had meant for me. God has continued to show himself as a faithful pursuer of hearts. My father that left my family when I was young many years later came to know the Lord, and we were reconciled as well. Jesus is the God who reconciles, restores, and makes all things new. 
I'm getting baptized today to show the new life I now have in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So, I'm Adam, I'm Rachel's husband, and I'm supposed to follow that. So, wish me luck. I have nominally been a Christian my entire life. I grew up in a Christian home and attended a Christian grade school. If you were to have asked me about my beliefs, I would have been able to give you all of the right answers. I served in church, I read Christian books here and there, I read devotionals occasionally. I lived for myself, but I was also a Christian, and in my mind, that was fine. Throughout high school and college, that was pretty much my life. But when I started graduate school, I met Karsten, who became one of my closest friends. He and I connected right away. Karsten was one of the most genuine people I have ever met, and we shared a lot of the same interests. And he was also a Christian, but his Christianity was, was not mine. Well, my faith was a combination of intellectual knowledge and involvement in a church. Karsten actually lived his faith. There was a difference that I could see, and it was sobering. The following summer, I met Rachel and started dating. And even before our first date, I knew that I wanted to marry her. Up until that point, I honestly did not think women like this existed, and she actually liked me too. But with that sense of excitement I had came something that I did not anticipate. I knew that I was not good enough for her. And this wasn't some self-centered worry that maybe she was too good for me, which, by the way, is true. No, this was the first time in my life that I felt the weight of what it is to be fallen, what it feels like to know the person that I should be, yet see the person that I am. I didn't know how to reconcile those feelings other than to lean on God. And early on in our courtship, I prayed every day that my will would be a reflection of God's will because I honestly did not want something for Rachel that God didn't want for her. Shortly after, we were married, and I really got to see the weight and impact of my own selfishness and pride. But I knew Jesus was the difference between who I was and who he called me to be. And following Christ's example and living by his instruction bound and secured our marriage. Even still, I lived with these nagging thoughts that I could not personally be good enough for God's grace. I know that we don't earn God's grace. It isn't that. Rather, I felt like I couldn't be good enough to even receive grace unearned. Even though it was a gift, I figured I would somehow reject it or ruin it. And that gnawed at me. But I was busy and I had other things on my mind, my new marriage and school and all the normal worries of life. But as much as I suppressed it, the worry that I was not in Christ began to consume my life. And then one spring day, halfway into my daily two-hour drive home, I lost it. I was on I-75, just north of Auburn Hills, in my little Toyota hatchback, and I just started bawling. It was awesome in the truest sense of the word. Taste and see the fullness of his grace was a line in the song that was playing on the radio. And that was the first time in my life I can remember feeling the real connection with God's grace. To know not just intellectually, 
or emotionally, but to really know that this plan, the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, was because of my shortcomings, not in spite of them. And while the song lyric was not scripture, word for word, it was a timely message, I can't say that that moment in and of itself was a transformative experience, but I do hold it dear as an illustration of God's goodness toward me at a time when I finally turned to him after 20 years of a nominal lip service faith. Since that time, I have wanted to be baptized. I've had a desire to be baptized. We were attending a church that didn't practice believers' baptism. And the fact that I am here today, that we get to be baptized, to fulfill that desire to live in obedience to Christ is just another evidence to me of God's providence in my life. And that's why, that's why I'm so joyful today to be baptized. Thanks. Well, let's pray together and then we're going to continue in worship. Father, just thank you so much for uh, these incredible testimonies from Adam and Rachel. We're just so thankful that they um, have been here and are worshiping with us. And Father, just to hear this story of how you um, have dramatically rescued them through your son, Jesus Christ, and how uh, through faith in him, they experienced this transformation in their lives. And Father, we just thank you that you um, do bring new life. And to hear those those stories. It's just a continual reminder for us. And so we're thankful for that, Father. We're thankful for the work that you've done in their lives. And we just pray that today would be an opportunity to glorify you at the end of second service as we um, baptize Adam and Rachel and, and Father, this body can see um, really that expression of the gospel in such an amazing and, and dramatic way. So Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and all that he's accomplished for us. And as we continue the rest of this worship service, brother, I pray that we would just pour out in praise and adoration, uh, expressing the greatness of your gospel and the greatness of who you are and uh, the greatness of all we have in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us. Let's worship. Let's worship.